Welcome to the Built On Air Podcast, the variety show for all things Airtable. In each episode, we cover four different segments. It's always fresh and different and lots of fun while you get the insider info on all things Airtable. Our hosts and guests are some of the most senior experts in the Airtable community. Join us live each week on our YouTube channel every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern and join our active community at BuiltOnAir.com. Before we begin, a word from our sponsor, OnToAir Backups. OnToAir Backups provides automated Airtable backups to your cloud storage for secure and reliable data protection. Prevent data loss and set up a secure Airtable backup system with OnToAir Backups at OnToAir.com. As one customer, Sarah, said, Having automated Airtable backups has freed up hours of my time every other week and the fear of losing anything. Longtime customer David states, OnToAir backups might be the most critical piece of the puzzle to guard against unforeseeable disaster. It's easy to set up, and it just works. Join Sarah, David, and hundreds more Airtable users like you to protect your Airtable data with OnToAir backups. Sign up today with promo code BUILTONAIR for a 10% discount. Check them out at OnToAir.com. And now let's check out today's episode and see what we built on air. Welcome to the Built on Air podcast. We are in season 17, episode three. Good to be back with you. Dan Fellers here. I'm coming in, checking in from an airport. So you may hear some background noise from me, but good to be with you. We've got Camille Parks with us and Scott Rose back. Welcome. Thank you so much. Good to see you all with us. We are uh, excited for the show today. We'll be walking through, I'll walk you through what we're gonna be talking about just a second here. As always, we start off with our around the bases to get you up to date with what's going on in all the communities, what's new in Airtable. Then a quick shout out to onto our backups, our primary sponsor. Then Scott's going to walk us through a couple segments. Going to first talk about how to dedupe duplicates without using the dedupe app, and then he's going to also talk about using many-to-many relationships and better understanding those. Then a quick shout out to join our community. And then we're gonna wrap up with Camille, continuing her segment from last week and now talking about invoicing using Stripe. So excited to see what we've got coming up. Dan, it's so great. Dan, it's so great that you are, even at an airport, the show must go on. You are still here. must go on. That is right, that is right. Even if you had to do it from an airplane itself, I bet the show would still go on. (laughs) Yeah, I purposely booked a flight that gave me time to 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 do the show, and uh, so I got to the airport early so I could so I could finish it from here. I love it. All right, let's go. Uh, let's first. We're going to spend a bunch of time in the built-on air community. A couple interesting chats of what's going on. Uh, first, from Justin, our friend of the show, talks about kind of brings up an interesting point. Um, how an automation can be triggered when a record is updated, which includes calculated fields, meaning that the modified time of the calculated field has to be tracked somewhere, but the table-based trackers for last modified time, uh, the field type and related formula functions refuse to track changes on calculated fields. I don't get it. (laughs) Scott, you replied. Oh yeah, what's interesting is Wait, yeah, the thing is, is that the automations, automations 
if you're watching a record for changes, automations can monitor a formula field. Wait a second. I forgot what I wrote. Can you click on my link real quick? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's strange because even though the last modified time field can't monitor. For, oh, I see. If you That's right. If you create a last modified time field in your base um, and you want it to give you the last modified time of one of the fields, it doesn't give you the option of monitoring when a formula field changes. However, what's weird about that is that Airtable's automations can monitor whether a formula field has changed or not. So if you're hoping to monitor when a formula field is changed, um, you can't do it with Airtable's last modified by fields, but you can do it with Airtable's automation, automation triggers. Yeah, um, I, I have a guess and I have no way of verifying if it's accurate. Knowing me, it's probably not. I feel like they're trying to get around um, triggering based on changes to now and today, because those would be like constant things to their servers as those are updated either like every five minutes or every uh, hour or whatever the interval is. It depends on if someone has the base open. But like with automations, I guess they have a better hold of like when to actually monitor for those changes, if that makes sense. Just a guess, because I feel like with formulas, a lot of the times you can derive it from whatever the like source field the formula is referencing changes. Because it has to be based on something to change it all, except for time-based things, which I feel like is why they might not let you monitor it. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, that could be it. So, yeah, but I, I thought it was interesting. I didn't think about that. They actually must be tracking, you know, somewhere inherently for it to, to trigger automation. So somewhere they are tracking. Has anyone tried with the Webhook API? Because from my recollection, I don't remember if there's any restriction on what you can um, scope for uh, changes based on um, their web Webhook API. I think it can also target formula fields, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I'm not sure on that. Could look into that next time. Yeah, maybe their documentation says it. Something worth uh, looking into. So, yeah. Definitely something to be aware of. You can't really rely on those uh, calculated fields if you want to use those to, to trigger um, views and things. All right, one more. Uh, this is just kind of a follow-up from last week. We talked about it. Um, they had some pretty major outages last week on the automations, super slow, had to rebuild them. And I think this was only, was it only for automations that use scripts? Yeah, apparently just for automations that use scripts, major yeah. failures and outages. Yeah. So they did send out an update. Mecca mentions like this is the first time they've actually like sent out a message like this, kind of quasi apologizing. <laughs> when you say quasi, which was the uh, quasi part? <laughs> <laughs> There's no actual, we're sorry. Oh, <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, As uh, Russell kind of points out, they provided a list of your automations that um, 
were possibly affected. Um, he asks who had the longest list. I checked mine against all odds, only one. Wow. That surprised me, but I also don't know how exactly they're um, attributing automations to like people who work in teams like myself. Um, you know, I work in a team with like 10 different creators on a workspace. So which one of us, did we all get the same email with only one that failed or did I get some and they got some others? I don't know how they made that determination. Yeah. Yeah. But at least it was good. I think this was probably based off feedback. Cause I know through different channels, people were asking like, Hey, where's, where's the status update? What's going on here? Yeah. I got a ton of those emails and a ton of a, a list of a lot of automations in any yeah. email. Yeah, yeah. All right, next one. So this was interesting. I don't know if this is a bug, but Max points out that single select fields are now displaying empty in the grid of records component of the Gmail send email action and having to convert them to single select fields to plain text in a formula field. So I don't know if anybody else has seen that bug with Gmail sending. Hmm. Yes, one of our um, one of our automations was experiencing the same bug. Um, we weren't using Gmail. It was um, applicable to anything you try to insert the grid into. It is single select, and I think multi select too. Just simply didn't appear. Hmm. Interesting. It looks is like that. that... Yeah, go oh, ahead. Oh, go ahead, Dan. I was going to say, is this only when you're configuring it, it shows, but if you already had one configured, does it still send correctly? Um, ours, in our case, ours was already configured. It was an old automation that had been in circulation for a while. It just stopped working right. randomly. It was one of the first times like we experienced like a clear and present bug in Airtable that at no point where we like, maybe we did something wrong. It was like yeah. a, a column, like, was all of the values disappeared and we had no explanation for it other than this is a bug. It looks like that was six days ago. Do you know if that's been fixed by now? I believe it's been fixed at least for our um, automation. I can't speak to like globally. And I also don't know if we ever got like inclination of like what happened or what went wrong. Right, yeah. Okay. Well, if you're having issues with Gmail, I, and we don't know for sure if it's just Gmail or if it's any, uh, if it's also the the Airtable email sending. It was the regular Airtable email for us. Okay. So it's more on the component level. Mm. Hopefully that's that's fixed. <laughs> All right. Here's another one. Jeremy um, puts out a uh, or puts a link. Oh, I won't do that. But um, just kind of referencing kind of cool, there, there is actually a book, I think it's an O'Reilly um, book on Airtable. So it's probably the first actual physical book written about Airtable. Um, I was hoping to click on it to get the author's name. I know he, he oh, presented at, at one of the Dare tables. I think you can go click on it and just type in the code to get to the next yeah. page. There we go. Yeah, learning Elliot Adams. That's who it is. Yep. So shout out to Elliot. R wrote a book, first book I'm aware of, like actual physical books. So that's kind of cool. I wonder how Elliot is going to keep up with the changes because I know that my 
I have an online course at LinkedIn Learning, mm -hmm. and I have to constantly be updating it. So I wonder how yeah. often. That's going to be quite a task for Elliot to keep up with Airtable. Yeah. It's first edition. So you just keep creating editions. So that's great. But that's wonderful that when I was first starting off, I was looking for some significant reference. So it seems like that'll be a good one. Yeah. Okay. One more from Max also. This is also in the email vein. Um, and I think Camille, you want to, you help him out. So he's talking about how to do markdown in uh, sending emails through Gmail as well. Yeah, so he specifically wanted to highlight something and um, Airtable's Markdown is a pretty pared down version of Markdown. There's a, a trillion versions, but this one is specifically having very like basic text formatting and highlighting's not included. But your email actions, um, I believe all three, Outlook, Gmail, and Airtable's generic one, all support HTML formatting. So if you use a span with a style attached, you can, um, you know, force your own highlighting. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really weird, this mix of like some markdown with some HTML. I know I've done both in the same email template. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was never able, supposedly markdown tables should work. I was never able to get them to work. So they're always HTML for me. Yeah, that would be a good guide on on uh, what you can do with, with email templates. So there's lots of nuance there. All right, here's one from Ben Ben Bailey asking about list views. Why do records have handles, but we can't manually rearrange them? <laughs> good discussion there. Good question. Is it sorted? Um, so, and that's where Josh said, uh, so you can move them to another group if you're using levels. But I think you still, they still have the handles. By handles, it means like those those three lines that make it look like you can drag them mm -hmm. up and down. So you, you can drag them to different groups and to different levels, but yeah, you can't resort. Within the group, I guess? Within Correct. The group. Within the group, yeah. they can't be resorted. Yeah, so they're for grouping, but not sorting. Yeah. Mm. That's yeah, that's disappointing. Yeah, yeah, that can be confusing if you're if you're trying to reorder. Order is kind of a tricky thing, especially in the view world. Like sometimes you can keep order, but sometimes you can't. It's kind of tricky. As far as like manually ordering things. Right. Yeah, like yeah, galleries let you reorder, grid view lets you reorder if it's not already sorted or grouped. Kanban you can order. So I think yeah, tech, well, no, I was gonna say not not in calendar. I think possibly maybe if events have the exact same time frame, it might let you reorder them, but I can't be sure about that. I think it really is. Yeah. Great uh, Kanban and gallery are the uh, manual resort ones. Mm, yeah, yeah. Very good. All right, two more. This was one on, on Twitter. Um, this Ken is kind of a oops expert on Tableau and brought up, and I'd also seen this on other channels. 
if you're using Tableau and you're using Airtable, Airtable does have kind of a, uh, a way to get data out of Airtable into Tableau, but um, this team here at uh, Easy Apps um, created a Tableau to Airtable um, software bridge, uh, web data connector. So if that's important to you, I thought this was worth checking out. I know if you're a heavy data user and using Tableau, getting your data from Airtable into there is, is not the most straightforward thing. So shout out to uh, Easy Apps for, for building that bridge. So you can check that out if that's relevant to you. And finally, the last one coming from the table forums and Scott helps, Scott runs this forum. Check it out at air.tableforums.com. But actually, Scott, you posted this. You found a cool feature that was not uh, announced. Tell us what this yes. is. Yeah, there's a brand new uh, piece of metadata that you can use in your Airtable automations called user who took the action. Again, you may want to mute yourself and hear that. Um, yeah. yeah. Thanks so much. The, um, um, yeah, uh, there's a brand new metadata you could do in the automations. It's called user who took the action. And I think they meant to call it <laughs> user who triggered the automation. Like if they're using nope. Oh, they don't. Okay, Camille's no. going to help this, me out. This. this is related to um, parity with their Webhook API. Oh, okay. So maybe you can explain this, but basically it looks like whoever starts the automation, wh whoever was the user that caused the automation to start, you can grab their name, their ID, their email, uh, and their photo as well, their profile photo as well. So the four elements that you can get through the API. And now, what you, were you going to say, Camille, about this? You can also get what type of user they are. So there's regular users who are like people. There's service accounts. And then there's um, if it was triggered via like your personal access token, um, that can be derived from that as well. The, the reason it's called user who took action and not who triggered automation is because it's, it's looking at, um, regardless of what the trigger for the automation is, it's... Let's say your 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 trigger is when record matches conditions, you know, uh, animal equals cat. Um, what Airtable is actually looking at is is like intrinsically the the change in data value, and so it's it's really saying user who changed the animal to equal cat. It doesn't care that there is an automation; it's just providing you um, that additional information. Right. So That's it's the person who caused it to trigger. Basically. Yeah, because it could be right. um, it, it could be a lot of different things. This this appears in um, uh, in, a, in a couple of different triggers. And like from a terminology standpoint, I think they're trying to stay close to their um, some language that they've already used in their their docs where it's. Um, like even calling it a user is, is, you know, it's they've moved away from the term collaborator because that's not the case really when you have a service account and these other kind of like quasi people who can make actions on your base. And so they're like, they're trying to skirt the line as well as they can to describe what it is they're doing, but it, it does let you um, like, fake a last modified field um, if you don't want it always filled in. For instance, you can now pull from this property user who took the action 
to like populate a regular um, user field if you want it. Right. So whether it comes through the API or whether it comes from the service account, basically all those things are tied to an account of some yes. sort. service accounts, our accounts. So whatever user basically triggered this whole thing to take place, that's the data you can get from it, even if it comes from an external source. Correct. Now, it's not going to tell you from make, you know, it's not it's not that specific because Airtable doesn't have that kind of information, but it will tell you like if it was triggered by uh, an API action and not like, you know, from interacting directly within Airtable itself. Right. Well, the make will be through a personal access token, which will be linked to an account, basically. Yes, it, it'll it'll say like, you know, the context is that it was a personal access token, but it won't it won't tell you it's a make thing unless you named your personal access token make, of course. Right, right. That's what I do. I typically name my personal access tokens based on the external app that's using them. Good practice. So this is cool because in the past, you you would have to create a whole bunch of last modified fields if you wanted to know who modified a certain field last, which then triggered an automation. This So this could save a lot of time. Yeah. Very cool. It would be cool All if right. Airtable had, someone said in, in Slack, it would be cool if Airtable had very specific release notes so we would know yeah. when things like this came up. Uh, I think <laughs> I think it was you who sort of, you know, maligned that Airtable doesn't really have very good release notes. They sort of do a bulk update at the end of the month and it, it doesn't cover like everything, it, it's normally the big stuff and little stuff like this kind of flies under the radar all the time. And then I brought up um, Retool's release notes. Uh, I spent a lot of my days complaining about Retool now, but one <laughs> of the things that they're like excellent about is their release notes. Literally everything is in there. They're very long, very detailed, um, but they're searchable and things like this are uh, always included. So. So you know, it's not like there's no precedent, at least for the, the tools that I work with. Um, now, Retool has versions and Airtable does not. So I suppose it's like you get even longer release notes because you can't be like, oh, you're on this version versus these other customers are on this version. But that still doesn't mean that you can't have a more consistent list of updates uh, published like this one. Right. Yeah. Cool. Let me let me jump in here while there's no background announcement <laughs> going on. So that uh, that's a good good summary of what's going on. Keep you up to date on everything on round the bases. Quick shout out, Scott, if you want to get your your screen ready uh, for your segment. Before that, I'll talk a little bit about Ontoair. If you're using Airtable for your business, best practice is to make sure your data is backed up. We now back up uh, schema information as well, which also includes um, formula information. So if you want to make sure you're keeping your, your formula backed up in case, in worst case scenario, you can sign up for Ontoair backups at ontoair.com. Use promo code built on air to get a discount. So check it out at Ontoair. With that, we're gonna go to Scott and he's gonna answer a common question deduping there you go all right so one uh issue that comes up a lot for people particularly when they're uh migrating their data from old systems to Airtable, 
is how to clean up any potential duplicates. Of course, the duplicates could come up at any time, depending on how your system is set up. But this came up the other day uh, with a client of mine who was migrating into Airtable from a whole bunch of Excel uh, spreadsheets that had his clients on them. But the clients' names and their emails and their phone numbers were the same on many different spreadsheets. Uh, and then there were many different people too. So we imported all of them in. And then it became a question of how do we clean up the duplicates and what would be an easy and quick way to clean up the duplicates once that once you've got them all into Airtable. So one way to do it is to use Airtable's dedupe extension. Um, but the problem with the dedupe extension is that you have to go through each group individually. So in this particular example here, you can see down here at the bottom, we have 243 groups of duplicates. And so that could take quite some time to go through here, pick which one you want to use as your primary record, and then merge the other two into it. And then you have to go through that 243 times to get rid of all the duplicates in the system. Now, the good news about, or the good thing about the dedupe extension is that it lets you edit the records here. You can see if there's any data that's different. There's a thing here called hide identical fields. So this actually rolls up all your data and only shows you the data if it's different between the three. So you can sort of see if there's a slight deviation or slight variations from one record to the other. So that's sort of one of the advantages here. But if you know that all your duplicates are the same, you know, it's pretty much just the, in this example, first name, last name, phone number, email, street address, and city. If I would sort this by first name here, you will see that, that we've got a bunch of duplicates here. And in this particular case, the data is the same. So we don't actually need to cherry pick and look through and see, oh, well, we have John Smith here has one email address, but John Smith here is a different email address. That would actually mean two completely different John Smiths in this case. So how could you quickly go through all your duplicates and clean them up in a situation like this? Well, it's actually very easy. What you need to do is figure out which one of your fields is going to serve as a unique value. Now, in this particular case, we actually have a couple of unique values here. We have a phone number, which would be unique for each, for each contact. And we have um, an email field that would be unique. Now, if you didn't have something like that, you could just create a, we also have street address as well. And if you didn't have that, you could just create a formula field that combined a couple of your different fields together until you have something that's unique. So in this particular case, um, let's use email as our unique identifier for each record. And this is where the trick comes in. The trick is in Airtable, what you want to do is you want to take your unique identifier field and you want to convert it into a linked record field. So I'm going to turn this into a linked record field, and then I'm going to create a new table. And you want to make sure that this is also turned on, allow linking to multiple records. 
And then you're going to click on, oh, actually that one doesn't make a difference in this case. So you could have that on or off right now. Um, and then you are going to click on save. And so what Airtable has done is it has converted this field right here into a linked record field. But the trick is that Airtable does these one at a time. It goes from, I'm assuming, top to bottom. And the thing is, is that it will only create this record once in the other table. So here's the new table that we just created of all of our email addresses. And so even though this email address exists twice here, Airtable only creates it for the first record and then any subsequent records, it will match that record to the record it already created. So if we go over to the email uh, table right here, you'll see that each email address, so here's the email address that uh, actually serves as the linked record field because this is the primary field. And then here you can see that some of these email addresses are actually linked to more than one contact. So that is the only thing that, that, that you need to know because that's what makes the trick work, basically. The conversion um, will only take these values and it will only make them appear once in your other table. So now we can look through here and I could, this says name, but of course I could change this to say email address. So what we have here is this is in essence a deduplicated list of email addresses. There are no duplicates going down this field right here. So we have 500 unique email addresses, but each email address might be linked to more than one contact. So that helps us on this table, right? So now we know we only have 500 unique contacts total. But how does that help us back here if we want to clean up the contacts here? What we need to know is we need to try to figure out whether this person or this person or whoever, if they are part of um, a group of an email address that has more than one contact. So this is how you can do that. From this table, you can create a count field and I'm gonna make this uh, count field type. And this will give you the count of how many linked records you have in whatever linked record field that you point to. So if I create this field here, this will now give me the count of how many email or how many contacts are linked to this particular email address. So in this particular case, we have three of these people who are linked to this one email address. So again, that helps us on this table, but how does that help us back on this table? Well, it doesn't yet. So what we need to do is, because we don't know, right now we can see this because this is sorted alphabetically, but we don't necessarily know just by looking at this, if these weren't sorted alphabetically, we wouldn't know whether this person was duplicated more than once in this table. So all we need to do is create a lookup field to that new table. And now we're gonna bring in that count field. And so I'm gonna add that field here and now we can tell. So now no matter what order these contacts are in, we could see that if we look at this person right here, this person is part of a group of two. And then this person here, she's part of a group of 
three. And again, we could see right here, one, two, three, but these might not be in this order. So that's getting us a little closer to where we want to go. If we group this now by the count, what we can see here is these are all the people where they're only part of a group of one. So none of these people are duplicates. So we can actually just collapse this group. We don't need to worry about them at all. But we do have additional groups here. We have people who have been duplicated twice in our base, and we have people who have been duplicated three times in our base. So now what we want to do is we want to leave just one person from each grouping. So how do we do that? Well, what we want to do next is we want to figure out how we can identify only one person from each group and all the rest of those people we just want to get rid of. So what we can do is assign a unique value to uh to each line. And I'm going to do that by doing an auto number field here. So I'm going to create auto number and I'm going to create a field. And now Airtable has automatically gone in and given us a unique number for each person that is in this particular table. So now what we can do is we can go back to our email table here and we can figure out just one of the numbers from the group. And we'll say that that is the person that we want to keep. So what we'll do is we're going to come in here and we're going to create a roll-up field. And we're going to say, let's just say we want the minimum number from that group. So I'm going to just say the minimum number. And so we're going to create a roll-up field here. And we're looking at the contacts table. And we are going to choose the auto number field. And we're going to choose the minimum value. And you could do this in other ways too, but I just figured this would be the easiest way to show in a demo. And so I'm going to create this field here. And now what it's giving us is the minimum number that appears in that group. So for example, we have three Adinas right here. And out of these three Adinas, if we go back to our contacts, we'll see that we have number, they've been assigned six, seven, and eight. And over here on our email table, we can see that the minimum number for the three Adinas is six. And so for each one of these groups, we'll now know the minimum number. So if we go back to the contacts table, now we just need to tag each contact that is the minimum person in each group because those are the ones we want to keep and we want to get rid of all the extra ones. So what we can do is we're going to create another lookup field here from the email table, and we're going to bring in the minimum number. And so now what we can do is I'm going to move this down here next to our auto number field. And so this is the minimum number that's been brought in from the email table. And you can see that here are our three Adinas again. So here's Adina six, seven, and eight, but all three Adinas show us the number six for the minimum number because they're all part of the same group. So then we're getting very close to the final solution here now. We just need to create a formula field that's that asks the question basically, um, you know, is this the minimum number? Is this the minimum contact or whatever? I, actually, let's not even try to get fancy with the name. Let's just call it formula. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna go into the formula field here. And all we're gonna do is we're gonna compare and we're going to say, 
if the auto number field is equal to the minimum number from the email table, then we know that that was the lowest numbered person in the group. And that's the one we want to keep. We're going to use that as our keep person. And then if it's not the lowest number, that means they're an extra, they're a duplicate. So we're going to delete that person. So I'm going to create this field. And now you could see in this group of three for Adina, the first one is marked as keep and the other two are marked as delete. And then this same with every group that we've got. So now it's very, very easy to see what's going on here. We could actually, if we wanted to, we could group by this formula field now. And now we could see that these are all the records that we want to delete. And then these are all the ones we want to keep. And, and then what we also can do is instead of doing that, alternatively, I mean, what we can do is we can just filter this to only show us where the formula is keep. And now we are down to our 500. Oh, these are the ones we want to keep. So these are the 500 that we determined earlier are the 500 unique people. But what I actually meant to do was formula contains delete. And we know now that we have 391 duplicates. These have all been marked to delete. And then I'm just going to select all of them and I'm just going to right click on all of them and delete all selected contacts. And now if I get rid of this filter, we are now left with just the 500 unique contacts. So it seems like it might be a lot of work, but it's significantly quicker and significantly faster than going through 157 sets of duplicates in the ddub app. And that's it. That's how you would do that. Any questions or, or comments? The airport has a question. <laughs> Dan, gave, Dan gave a thumbs up. Yeah, it makes sense to me. Um, it works great if you have like, if you know you have a lot uh, of duplicates, like, and sometimes that happens. Um, Scott, you mentioned this could happen anytime in your um, time working with the base, not just when you're importing, but I often find that when you are importing, that's when you get the, you know, hundreds and hundreds of duplicates, whereas over time you might have like a set of 20 or so, like obviously depending on the size of the database, but, you know, the longer, um, you know, when you dump a whole bunch of stuff in there, you might run into more um, duplicates up front. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Very good. Yeah, it's typically a migration problem. Cool. Thank you, Scott, for showing. You've got one more for us, right? We're going to talk about many-to-many -many relationships. You want to yeah. share your screen on that? All right. Jump right into that one. All right. Here we go. So this is something called many-to-many -many relationships. This is something that has been coming up quite a bit. You gotta, You got to share your screen, Scott. There we go. Thank you so much. So this is something that has come up quite a bit in the community forums lately, um, where people get a little bit stumped about creating uh, a more advanced type of relationship called a many-to-many -many relationship. And I'm going to give an example of where that might come up. So let's say I've got this database here. Let's say we have a schedule of events of all these different lectures that are going to be happening during the day. And so here's a list of all the events that are happening during the day. 
And we also have a list of speakers. So these are people that are going to be speaking at these events. And so uh, a one-to-many relationship is typically what people work with in Airtable, and it's what they're uh, accustomed to. And what that means is that one speaker might be speaking at many events. So for example, if I add a linked record field here and I link this to our schedule of events, um, this, let's just call this uh, events, uh, we'll just call it events. And I'll create this field here. And then let's say that this particular speaker is speaking at the welcome ceremony and she's speaking at managing virtual teams and she's also speaking at makers making money and then this guy here he's only speaking at one event uh, but she is speaking at many different events as well so we're going to assign her to a bunch of events so this is the relationship the type of relationship that most people are accustomed to working with in Airtable. This is called one to many. So one speaker, Ali Bode, can be speaking at many events. And now this guy's only doing one to one. Technically, that's a one to one, but because we actually give him the ability to have more than one, you know, that's it's really a one to many. Um, and so these are normal relationships that people work with. And if we go to the schedule of events now, we have the backlink here, and you can see that you know they've been assigned, each event has been assigned to the appropriate speaker. So that's good. That's that makes sense so far. But then we have another thing too. There could be more than one speaker speaking in each event. So for example, Ali Bode, we've got her speaking at the welcome ceremony, but we might also have this guy right here speaking at the welcome ceremony as well. And let's say actually all three of them are speaking at the welcome ceremony. So if we come back here, now we will see that we have three speakers that are all um, speaking at the welcome ceremony. Now, right now, we're actually getting into the realm of a many-to-many -many relationship, but it's still structured as a one-to-many. So you may be wondering, so what's the big deal? Why why do we care what this terminology is? And what's, what's the problem? This seems actually like it's a working functional database here, right? We have three speakers that are linked to this event. And then if we go to the speakers table, we can see uh, all the events that are linked to each speaker. So for a lot of people's needs, that might be good enough. However, this is where things start breaking. And this is where people start getting a little bit confused. What happens if you want to manage or keep track of the intersection between speakers and schedule events? And what do I mean by that? What do I mean by the intersection between the two? Well, let's say that we want to keep track of ratings. Let's say that we're, we're judging these speakers. Maybe it's a contest, you know, we're judging these speakers and we want to give each one of them a rating. And so we want to create a rating field here. And I'm going to put this, we're going to put five stars here. And we want to give them a rating. So here's Allie. And we could give her a five-star rating here. But this rating, what if we have to judge her separately for each event that she's speaking at? This is only one rating field 
for Allie. And then let's say we wanted to rate the schedule of events. Let's say, let's say we wanted to rate it on the event side instead, right? We're like, oh, okay, well, yeah, that makes sense, right? We can only give Allie one rating here, and but we really want to give her three different ratings, one for each event that she spoke at. And then you're like, oh, okay, well, no problem. We'll fix it on the schedule of events side instead, right? We'll create a rating field here instead. And I'm going to create a rating field here one through five stars. And you're like, okay, so the welcome ceremony, we're going to give the welcome ceremony five stars. But then you're like, oh, wait a second. We can't do that because we want to judge each one of these people separately. We want to give a rating to each speaker at each event that they're at. So that's where the sort of the clash happens. That's where we have a problem. So the solution to this is creating a junction table. This is where we start getting into the many, many, many to many relationships. And so what you would do is you would actually create a third table. So you're going to break free from just these two tables. So I'm going to create a brand new table here and I'm going to call this, uh, the ratings table. Cause this is where we're going to keep track of the ratings. And the way that this works is Every single record in this table is going to link to one person. So I'm going to change, I'm going to call this speaker and I'm going to link to another record. I'm going to link this to the speakers table and you only want it to link to one person. So every single row in here is going to link to one speaker. Let me get rid of these two fields here. And in addition to that, Every single record is going to link to one event and you're going to only have one per line. So what you have here, and for this right here, this doesn't make a difference at the moment. I'm just going to make this an auto number field, but I typically turn that into a formula field that gives us more information about the record that we're looking at. Just for now, I'm just going to give it auto number, but know that I normally recommend turning that into a formula field. So now what we have here is different rows here and what you can do is every speaker ali bode can this is where you would actually assign her to every single event that she's speaking at so in essence what you're doing is you're breaking this up you're breaking up the links across this table. And when I'm done with this, I'll have Camille talk about some, some cool ways that you can actually automate this a little bit. But for now, I'm just going to show you the manual way of, of doing this. So the way that we originally set this up was that Allie is speaking at these three events and we put those three events right here. But the better way to do it, if we need to keep track of each one is Forget about this column altogether. You could actually delete this column altogether. You could see now Allie is linked to our three uh, records in the ratings table. So you could create new records for her here, but I'm just gonna show it to you from this table. So what we've done is we've assigned Allie to three events, and then we're going to assign our next speaker, Andrew Rossi, to three events as well. And so Andrew is speaking at three events as well. So now 
basically what you're doing here is you're splitting things apart. And so now what you could do to make this a little bit easier to look at, you could group it by either speaker or the event. I'm gonna group this by the speaker. And if you wanted to see information about the speaker, of course, we could bring in uh, like that person's biography or that their person's photo, that person's photo. So we could have a little more information here. Um, so this is what it would look like if it was grouped by the speaker. And then this is what it would look like if it was grouped by the event. So the welcome ceremony, we've got two people listed there so far. Let me open this up a little bit. We're running short on time, Scott, if you wanna. Oh, okay. thank you so much. Yeah. And then now what you can do is you can assign a rating field here. So now from this table, here's our welcome ceremony. And you could say, Allie, we're assigning her four stars for the welcome ceremony. And we're giving Andrew five stars for the welcome ceremony. But Allie, we're gonna give her five stars for this. And we're gonna give her three stars for this. So now we can separate out the ratings based on person and speaker. So now we've freed ourselves from the constraints of just having two tables here. And you can also look at these things from this table as well. I won't get into that now because we're running out of time, but if you made this a formula field, you could see you know, more information at a glance. Oops, I didn't mean to delete that. And you could also bring in lookup fields here to see all the ratings. You could also bring rollup fields to get the average rating. If I'll just do that real quick, average rating. If I brought in a rollup field here, I can actually bring in Allie's average rating and it already figured it out for me. Her average rating across her three events from here is a four. And you could do similar thing from the schedule of events side as well. So that's it. That's a quick overview of how to set up a many-to-many uh, -many relationship. Very good. Yeah, that's a must-have uh, for your tool belt if you're dealing with Airtable. Very useful. All right. Yes. And Camille created a, uh, an extension, right, Camille? Yes. This is one of the rare times that Junction Assistant is the is a good way to to manage it. I built Junction Assistant for a very specific purpose, and this is one of them. Um, there's a lot of different ways you could work with Junction tables. If you have something where your junctions are predictable, um, uh, then Junction Assistant isn't for you. It's more for like it's a manual process. It's not written in the stars who's going to speak at what event. Someone's going in and assigning or they're signing up themselves, et cetera. But the advantage of using something like Junction Assistant, it, it allows you to say, pick your person. And then on your screen in Airtable, you can use the built-in checkboxes and select all three or all five or however many ones you can uh you think that person's going to speak at and import your selection so that you can bulk create those three or five records in one go. Nice. Nice. Very good. Very cool. Quick shout out to join our community at Built On Air. We'd love to have you join our Slack community and subscribe to our podcast. Check us out. BuiltOnAir.com slash join gets you in for free. Let's finish up with Camille and Stripe. There you go. 
Alrighty, so last week we talked about how you can use um, eSignatures.io to send a service agreement to a client um, that had information that is being pulled from Airtable. Um, the second step is to perform whatever it is you've just contracted yourself into doing. And then the third step is to ask to be paid. Um, so what I've done is I've, I've created just a second project to demonstrate um, some you know advantages to the way I've built this particular uh, integration. As just a high level overview, I have information about the contracts and th therefore what I'm gonna be billing for uh, stored in Airtable. Um, I of course have a Stripe account and I'm using N8N as my connector between the two. You could do the same thing with Make or um, Zapier if you so chose. So um, clicking on either one of these uh, contracts, um, I had the send service agreement on the contract itself because each agreement or each contract will need its own agreement, of course. But the way I've built this system is that I don't really wanna bill contract by contract. I wanna bill um, the entire client, anything that's outstanding. So um, I have a few safeguards in this particular base where I don't actually want to send um, uh, bills to people uh, at the wrong stage if it's already been completed or if I'm not done yet. Um, I don't want to, you know, fire automations off too early. So I have a status that is in here called billable. I'm just going to go in um, for both of them and make sure that they both have a status of billable as my first step. And um, the other one's more exciting because it has more tasks, but um, these tasks, which were shown in, um, uh, in the previous episode, each one has an estimated number of hours. There's another field that's not shown, which is the actual number of hours that um, I spent on the task that I manually put in. It's dealer's choice if you're billing by actual hours or by your estimated hours. That's a decision as a, a business owner to make. Of course, that would be spelled out in your contract, which you would have put in step one last week. Um, but that's all I really need to change on a contract by contract level. But again, I wanna bill um, the client. So now that I've marked both of these two contracts as billable, I have a couple of uh, formulas and rollups that are kind of helping me out to assemble the information that I need um, to, uh, you know, put into Stripe. The first being, how much in total am I going to um, invoice for? The second being uh, some helper text. This is a, a formula that concatenates a couple of things together. I have a lookup that has. Um, the names of my projects with the status of billable. It's a conditional lookup. And then a formula that just tacks on this stuff at, this, uh, at the start. Um, you know, this invoice bills for the following projects. Helpful little text to add to the Stripe memo. From there in Airtable, what should happen um, is if I click this button, it should send an automation through N8N um, to create an invoice in Stripe. Now I've gone through um, my scenario and just double checking, cause I don't want to build in for $20,000. Um, there are different uh, credentials that you could use when you're 
um, hooking up nodes in N8N. Again, same thing with Stripe and I'm sure with Zapier. Um, these are linked to my test account. So not my real Stripe account. Uh, something that's very useful when you're working with Stripe is the ability to, um, you know, use completely fake data to test things out. So last one, all of them hooked up to my test account. So let's go. Um, this uh, particular button is setting a value of a single select field that's create invoice in Stripe, which fires an automation in Airtable that fires a webhook to N8N. Um, I could have hit that automation directly. That's not the exciting part. So in uh, Stripe, I'm in test mode. I have a couple of previous webhooks, but the one that is relevant is this one. Um, I'm looking for two events, when an invoice is finalized and when an invoice is paid. Um, in Stripe, and I'll explain it by looking at the N8N scenario, um, there's a couple of things that are going on. One, um, I have to read that information that's coming in from Airtable. That's that first bit, get the client. Again, that button is on the client level, not the contract level. And then I'm searching to see if that customer already exists in my Stripe. If they do, keep going. If they don't, create a customer in Stripe and then keep going. Then this step is just here to make sure that whatever I have in Stripe matches what I have in Airtable. So if, um, you know, if they change their name, for instance, or they have a different Stripe customer ID, I want to update it in Airtable just so that I keep record of it and then keep going. Now I'm getting that customer by ID again, just in case, uh, because Stripe has a couple of things that happen in the back end whenever you make adjustments to it. I want to make sure that I get the most up-to-date information as I can but you can technically skip this step. You don't necessarily need to retrieve it again if you've already retrieved it in one of these two steps here. So now I'm looking for contracts that have a status of billable. In this case, I had two. And then I'm creating line items. So going back with Scott's segment earlier about many-to-many uh, -many relationships and junction tables, I have an invoice that is linked to um, a client, but each invoice has multiple line items. So the line item table in this case would be my junction table. So I'm creating a line item for this singular invoice, one for each contract that had the status of billable. And the line item total, um, I'm choosing in this example to build by hour. So the quantity is the number of hours that were um, rolled up into each contract. And then the price would be whatever the uh, hourly rate that was agreed upon in the, um, in the service agreement is. Um, I have a couple of different instances of what's called a merge branch in N8N. What this is doing is it's uh, take it always takes two inputs. And what it's doing is it's saying, wait until you're done creating line items before going. So these are kind of like hold patterns to make sure that things stay within sequence. And then after I have all of my line items created, I'm creating the Stripe invoice itself. 
and then I'm finalizing the invoice. That's an important piece of the puzzle and something that might not be immediately obvious when you're working with Stripe's API. When you create the invoice, it's gonna show up as a draft, um, but it's not necessarily gonna be sent to anyone. It's not going to, it's just gonna sit in your account um, and you have to make sure that you finalize it if you wanna send it off to uh, somebody. Now in Stripe, there's a couple of ways to do it. You can have Stripe automatically send that person's email address, a link to that invoice where they can pay. Or if you want to handle that yourself, like if you have your own custom emails that you want to send out with Airtable or something else, you can turn that feature off. These are some of the variables that you can use to mix up this general process to fit your uh, however you want to work. So if I go into my test invoices and refresh the page, the hope is that I see it. And I do. So uh, $20,700. And if I look at my um, look at my uh, invoice, you'll notice that I have two line items, one for each project. Um, I will say that I misspoke with how I uh, handled this particular setup. I said that the quantity was the rolled up number of hours. That's inaccurate for how I actually set it up, but that is something that you can do. Um, if I look back at my Airtable really quickly, um, you'll notice that each contract has tasks and that's where the, the quantity in this case would be coming from. Um, in under the hood, what I've done is I've just said the quantity is one um, and, and called it a day, but you could use that information here if you wanted, you would just have to pass it up but you have individual line items. And then again, that helpful note that came from that Airtable formula is present in this, um, present in this uh, email. So what I can do um, is I can like, I can fake uh, marking this as paid because this is again, test data. Um, and if we uh, take a look at the, invoice page, you'll see it very helpfully reminds us that's in test mode. Um, so Dan, I'm going to pretend to be you. And uh, I think this works in Stripe if you give it any um, any valid uh, thing, it should work. I'm going to hit pay. Oh, no. It knows that that's not real. <laughs> if it's four two four two four two four two, okay, that's what it is. All right. Okay. Now, if I do it, processing marked as paid. Um, great. So I'm going to come back to my Airtable and. I'm going to watch this field. Oh, you know what? Again, live demos. The the uh, scenario that's watching for when an invoice is created in Stripe is looking at my real Stripe account. And again, I'm using my test one. So that's why the invoice wasn't populated here, both when it was first created and now that it's been marked as paid. So that's my bad for uh, forgetting to set up that other uh, scenario to look at my test account as well. But imagine, if you will, um, that invoice showing up here. Um, 
But if I refresh the page in Stripe again, you'll see that it will be marked as paid and that information ordinarily would be passed back into Airtable. Awesome. Such a useful, you know, understanding Stripe and invoicing is, is critical to any business. So this is very useful. I know you're a fan of N8N, so shout out to that tool as well to help make this all happen. Awesome. Thank you, Camille. And that concludes. Thank you, Scott, who had to jump for uh, another call. But thank you, Scott, to join for joining us. And we will see everybody next week. We survived the, uh, the airport show. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for joining today's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to check out our sponsor, OntoAir Backups, automated backups for Airtable. We'll see you next time on the Built on Air podcast.